I told you before that family business owner managers don't want to lose control. This is their one major concern. They want to keep yeah. control. And so the problem with the technology is that you give up control. And I know family business owner managers in the textile industry that sit at a big, huge desk and they don't have a computer, but they have, you know, the sheets of papers from the production. And they look <laughs> through each sheet, every number they check. Yeah, this is control yeah. in the hands of a family business owner manager. And you have to give that up if you go into new technologies. And this is a, a mindset change that we likely see with a new generation, but it's, it's tough for some of them. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us. Earlier this year, I attended a meeting of the PDMA chapter for Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. And the main speaker was talking about innovation in family-owned businesses, and I was fascinated. You know, many businesses worldwide are family-owned, and everybody's talking about innovation for big companies, and, and what, about, what about the majority of companies, and uh, how are they dealing with innovation? So we reached out to her, and she asked her if she would be a guest on our show, and she said yes. And I'm talking about Professor Dr. Nadine Kamalander. She's a professor of business at the WU Otto Beisheim School of Management in Wallender, Germany. And the WU, you can look it up in, uh, in Wikipedia, Wissenschaftliche Hochschule für Unternehmensführung. So it's a mouthful, but it is one of the leading business schools in the world. And so we're really grateful that, that Nadine would join us today. She's, her research has been published in many academic journals, uh, Harvard Business Review, lots of places. Uh, she's been doing this a long time. Uh, she uh, leads the Institute of Family Business and Mittelstand, which we've talked about in this podcast before. But lest you think she's uh, only a, been in academia, she actually was a consultant at uh, McKinsey & Company for, for, for quite a while. So she's got the uh, experience and credentials as well. Nadine, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, you're joining us from Germany today, yeah? I do, in beautiful Koblenz at the Rhine. Ah, Koblenz, yes, been through it many times. I know the area, just haven't stopped in. And how's the, uh, I guess it's fall now there, huh? How's yes. the weather? Yes, fall starts, so it's getting a little bit colder, but uh, we still have sun and it's not raining, and I think we are quite happy with that weather. Could be good, worse. good, good. Fall is a beautiful time in that region for sure. You need to get the last bits of sun before the winter comes. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. When you hear the word uh, Mittelstand and you hear the words family business, are they the same or, or are they not the same? I've been a little confused about that point. Yeah. They're actually not precisely the same. So we have a couple of Mittelstand firms that have been recently sold and that are now owned by private equity firms. And so they're following totally different growth paths and strategies as they did before as family firms. And on the other hand, we have family firms that are really huge. So mm. think, for instance, about BMW, one of our favorite car producers in Germany. This is a family business, yeah, just yeah. as Volkswagen is, but it's not Mittelstand uh, anymore. So I would say 90% of Mittelstand firms are family firms and 90% of family firms are Mittelstand firms. 
which is the reason why we often use the te terms synonymously, but there are some slight differences. I see. I see. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get involved in focusing on the these kind of firms? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, my background, as you said, is something bit different. So before actually joining uh, McKinsey, I was a physicist. So my work was working with artificial DNA and doing all this kind of groundbreaking research uh, stuff before I went to McKinsey. And then I read a book. And this book was about, um, it was by Clayton Christensen, the former Harvard business professor. It was about um, the innovator's dilemma. Yeah. And I found that very, very interesting and also inspiring. But then I talked to some people who were working also in business and in Mittelstand and family firms. And I realized that, you know, all what was written in this book is absolutely right for the corporates, but not at all for the family businesses. Yeah. And this was the moment when I thought, okay, we have to come up with a family innovators dilemma. So we have to understand what are actually the drivers of innovation, but also the hurdles of innovation in family firms. And so the outcome, and this was my first research uh, product, so my, my dissertation, the yeah. outcome was that we found that almost none of Clayton Christensen's uh, hurdles for radical innovation, for disruption, apply to family businesses. So there is no such pressure from analysts and also managers typically do what the owner managers say, right? Yes, because right. they know that this guy or girl will stay there for decades. Yeah, So you can't just <laughs> wait until the person gets fired because it won't happen. Huh? <laughs> but on the other side, there are other hurdles. So there are all those emotions. You don't want to kill what your granddad has built up. You have to work with the talent that is often very long tenured and you might lack new talent graduates from universities. So there are a lot of um, hurdles and challenges, but they're different from other firms. And I was so fascinated by those findings more than 10 years ago that I decided that I will focus on that in my future. Yeah, that is incredible. I, I've never heard statistics about how many businesses are family owned versus public entities with uh, shareholders and all. Do you, do you know roughly what those percentages might be? Yeah, yeah. So if we just look at numbers, so just percentages of firms, then around the world we have between 70 and 90% family businesses, yeah? Wow. So the majority of firms is family businesses. Even when we look at stock-listed firms, one-third of them is, uh, has a family influence, just like BMW and Volkswagen. Yeah. And if we look at numbers uh, such as how much do they contribute to GDP or how much do they contribute to employment positions, we find that ev roughly every second employee works in a family business and roughly 50% of GDP is by family businesses. Wow, those are some very impressive numbers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so you're in a great spot and a very important spot. And I think the all of us need to have some sensitivity into what these family businesses are dealing with. Can you share with us some of those uh, hurdles or those challenges that are unique to the family businesses? Yeah. One is this, um, this fear of cannibalization. Yeah. So uh, very often the product of the family business is something that the family is emotionally attached to. So for instance, if already the grandfather has produced books then it's very difficult to say, okay, we don't do books anymore. We sell the printing press and we do online stuff now. 
Yeah. So this is something that's difficult. Another thing is actually the specific risk attitude. Yeah. So I'm exaggerating, simplifying a little bit now. But if you're working in a corporate, it's kind of easy to say, okay, let's get some fresh money in and invest that into new startups. And if it fails, no problem. We go to the stock market and we get again fresh money. And we do that um, as long as at some point in time it will work out. In family business, the problem is that the money is from the family. Yeah? yeah. So it's your own money that you invest. Yeah. And family owner managers, they want to keep control. So they don't want to have other owners. They don't want to issue shares. And they don't want to have bank loan either. Yeah. So the money that they have is their own money. And this actually makes them much more cautious. And especially if you're not sure whether the new technology will work out family firms really have a lot of trouble in making the decision to invest the, I don't know, 10 million or 20 million to go into a new field. Yeah. You know, oftentimes we hear people in a corporate setting sometimes say, well, stop pretending this is phony money or not your money and approach your job as if it's your money. We've heard that the opposite side of it, where it's almost too lax on the, on the other side of the fence. But you know, it is when you get to the family owned, it becomes much more real. I, I hear what you're saying. So how do they deal with that risk? You know, there, there's always a way you deal with risk. You might profile innovation into, you know, highly risky bets that have potential uh, big returns, you know, new to the world, disruptive innovation. We hear all these ways to categorize and potentially even fund from a portfolio standpoint, different investments in innovation. Do these businesses do it the same way? Yeah. So what we're seeing right now in the landscape of German family firms in the Mittelstand uh, uh, um, size region is that they try to do a lot of uh, corporate venturing. So they build up their own uh, ventures very close to the company. And in those ventures, they actually uh, do radical innovation. So one of my favorite companies, uh, favorite family companies in Germany is a company called Westner Aufzüge. So it's an elevator company. They do um, services for elevators. So very kind of traditional business. And uh, they came up with some startups um, like uh, Digital Spine that they now they own, but they're not a sole owner, but they have other investors too. And so they have the core business where they just do incremental innovation, but then they have this venture together with other partners who also do financing where they really strive for more radical innovation. Mm. Yeah? And we've seen that also, you know, in uh, sales when it comes to e-commerce, for instance, that it's the core business that stays as it is. And then very often it's actually a next-gen member who after graduation from university starts his or her own startup um, in the, for instance, e-commerce area. And then once that runs and once this is successful, they integrate it back into the family business. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. they, they do succession and digitalization at the same point in time. Yeah. Where do they get funding? It has to be self-funded. Uh, are they finding other ways to get participation in that? Yeah. So that's, there's a little bit of variance there. So uh, many of the business families actually, you know, they have um, accumulated quite some wealth of the, uh, over the last decades and in a low interest environment like we have right now, investing in your kids' startups is actually quite a good idea. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh, you can also ask, you know, we see that 
other families. So we see, you know, that uh, there's more and more family funds coming up that are also active in the in the VC area. So, uh, for instance, we have one fund that's called La Familia, and many German family businesses uh, bundle their resources to invest into that fund, and this fund um, actually then invests into startups. So it's actually it's not only their own family with money, but there's a lot of going on right now in um, uh, the funding of startups and also how business families get active there. Yeah, great. What about, uh, you know, ecosystem type development with businesses working with other businesses? Yeah. Are family owned businesses active? Are they more likely or less likely to uh, want to do that kind of thing? Yeah. So if we had this interview back in, let's say, 2018, I would have said, no, they don't. Yeah. Wow. So because um, um, they want to have control. And uh, we did a study where we asked family businesses, do you do open innovation? And they all said no. Yeah. Mm. Then we explained to them what it is. And then they said, oh, yes, we kind of have some collaborators. But we see that a lot is going on right now. So last year uh, in Germany, we had a new initiative that's called the Maschinenraum, Berlin-based initiative, where Mittelstand firms come together, help each other exchange, because they want to actually shape the future and become successful. And that's just one of many initiatives. And I also ask myself, what was the reason? So why yeah. is it that now in 2020, 2021, all those initiatives start? And I think the reason is that we have had succession in many family firms recently. Yeah? So we now have the 30-year-old, the 40-year-old successors in the companies and they have a totally different perspective. Yeah. So they clearly see that it's not about competition against, you know, the other family business in the same region with the same product, but it's more about, you know, mastering the challenges of digitalization, making sure that our country is still competitive in the future, making sure that we can tackle the issues of sustainability, for instance. And so they have realized that they cannot do it by themselves and that their company alone cannot do it. So more and more of the young people realize that they really need this exchange. That is fascinating and moving and changing so quick in two years, right? You Indeed. see that change. Yeah. 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 Uh, what about, uh, do the family-owned businesses, are they active with universities and partnerships with universities like the corporate world is? Yes, they are, but they could do actually more, yeah? Mm -hmm. So we know that even, you know, some small firms actually have corporations, but they're not fully leveraging that. And we see that by one of my favorite topics right now, and this is artificial intelligence applications and family businesses. And um, we know that many universities, technical universities, are doing a lot of stuff there. And uh, family firms are actually quite open to that, but for some reason, it's not really on their radar screen. And I, I recently talked to a small, medium-sized family business that said, you know, we should work more together with universities, but somehow we haven't found the time to do so in the past because everybody was just focused on efficiency and there was so much to do. So this was kind of deprioritized. But I I would say that, you know, if the technical universities also get involved into those um, ecosystems, then even more could be achieved. 
Yeah, so there's huge opportunities out there, it sounds like. Indeed. I know it's it's still early days for many, even corporate customers. Some are very active with universities and some some haven't started yet. But sounds like they're they're a bit of a head of the family business. It sounds like a really good opportunity for somebody to try to bring that together. You mentioned AI apps in family businesses and you know the new technologies that are out there that sometimes it takes a lot of investment, a lot of failure. AI can be overhyped. Some people are figuring it out. Some aren't. So it's kind of risky. What other types of technologies would family businesses uh, be kind of on their horizon to be getting into? Mm -hmm. We did a, a large scale study two years ago. So the data is uh, getting a little bit old now, but this is the last, you know, large scale data that we have available with more than 1,500 uh, family firms, uh, Mittelstand firms. And Two years ago, we could say that, you know, only only 50% of uh, the, the German Mittelstand firms, both family and non-family, were actually using things like ERP systems or CRM systems. So, you know, they were, you know, lacking really yeah. kind of behind. Two years ago, we, we saw that hardly anybody was using um, virtual reality, um, augmented reality, or even artificial intelligence. Now we see more and more use cases emerging in, uh, in Germany. So we see even smaller firms that are thinking about how they could use um, artificial intelligence, for instance, for recognition of quality of their products. And we see mm -hmm. that. And uh, we work together with a family business, very small, that is active in wood processing. So they actually, you know, work with the trees and the tree trunks and they kind of process them and sell them. And even they are experimenting with some um, artificial intelligence applications and they even use it already. But those are still, you know, kind of exceptional family businesses that are actually trying to, to be a bit faster than the rest of, um, mm -hmm. of, of the industry. But we see a lot of reluctance there. And we also see a lot of discussions going on, for instance, with regard to ethics, with the question of, I told you before that family business owner managers don't want to lose control. This is their one major concern. They want to keep yeah. control. And so the problem with the technology is that you give up control. Yeah. And I know family business owner managers in the textile industry that sit at a big, huge desk and they don't have a computer, but they have, you know, the sheets of papers from the production and they look <laughs> through each sheet. Yeah. Uh, every number they check. Yeah. This is control yeah. in the hands of a family business owner manager. And you have to give that up if you go into new technologies. And this is a, a mindset change that we likely see with a new generation, but it's it's tough for some of them. Yeah, I know exactly the type of people you're you're talking about, and it is a tough change. It is a tough mm -hmm. change with control. What about something you mentioned? Trees maybe think of of sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. Sustainability. When you read the annual reports of many companies. It's a major strategic initiative. How about for family-owned businesses? Mm -hmm. Where do they fall on that spectrum? Yeah. So first of all, for them, it's mostly not strategic. Yeah. So if I talk about, you know, not the stock-listed one, but the little bit right. smaller ones, they don't yeah. have, you know, all this regulatory burden that they have to, to, uh, to be transparent about their initiatives. So we see that many family businesses actually invest into sustainability, 
because of their own values. Yeah, so they try to reduce, for instance, their waste. They try to go to renewable energies and so. But you know, it's kind of you know doing one thing, doing another thing. Another opportunity emerges, and then they do this and that. But it's yeah. not like strategic that they have a strategic five-year plan like we would like to be carbon neutral until 2030 or so. So there's a lot going on, but it's not strategic. But yeah. again, the question is um, whether this would actually change in the future. So I recently listened to a talk of Felix Ahlers. He works for Frosta. So they're actually in the food business, so frozen yeah. food. And he analyzed the entire company trying to see where they can actually reduce carbon dioxide, where they can reduce waste, plastic and so on. And he has made great progress. Yeah. And so I think that the next generation will also there make a big change. I have yeah. lots of next gens in my in my lectures and they are very picky. Yeah. So <laughs> they don't want to become automatically the successor. Yeah. They okay. question everything. Yeah. yeah. Because they have other opportunities. They could become entrepreneurs, consultants, whatever. And I remember that one student um, from Europe, she said, Oh, I, I could imagine taking over my parents' business, but right now they're using so much plastic, yeah? So they're in the automotive industry. So she said, all this plastic, I don't want to run a plastic business, yeah? So either the company changes and becomes more sustainable, then I imagine becoming the successor. And if it doesn't become more sustainable in the next years, then my parents have to find another successor. Yeah. And what does that mean as the next generation maybe isn't interested in a family firm? Mm -hmm. Like historically, I mean, it was always dynasties, you know, you had, you had Henry Ford and then, you know, his son and then the next son and, you know, just see these dynasties of, it was just always passed down in the family. And now across all sectors, uh, family owned and corporate, I mean, employees are saying, mm, I want to do something different. Uh, mm -hmm. So what do they do? What do these family firms <laughs> do when that happens? Yeah. They're searching for somebody to buy their company. Yeah? Mm. So if it's, if it's a larger firm, they just separate ownership and management. So they keep the ownership and they just hire external managers. But for many smaller firms, they just get sold. And what we see in Europe right now is a race of um, platforms that match the sellers and buyers of small and medium-sized companies. Wow. Yeah? And there is also, you know, a trend that's going on both in Europe, but I think also in the US the, uh, about search funds, which is kind of a financing vehicle to sub financially support um, young people that, for instance, graduates from universities that want to become the external successor, that want to buy a family business that doesn't have a successor, but who need financing, yeah? yeah? So there are models being created right now that help those people getting the money to actually become the successor of small and medium-sized companies, yeah? So there's also a lot going on uh, right now. That's incredible. I, I had no visibility to that. But when I couple that with your earlier comments of, of, of things changing just in two years, where, where do you think things will be in five years from now? Do you have a, mm. an idea where it's headed? 
Yeah, so I think that the entire landscape of businesses will be, you know, much more chaotic, yeah? So right now, you know, we have one family very often and they have just one business and the family members are either part of the family business or they are not. And I don't think that our life in future will be that easy because we see that families have multiple businesses, yeah? So they have the core business and then they have the ventures for the, for the digitalization and the innovation. And we also see that many next chance, for instance, they, they do not have a clear role in the family business like being the CEO, but maybe they're just a board member, but at the same time, they run their own business, which has strong business ties to the core family business. Mm. And so I think about the entire family business and business family scene as a kind of network that we will see in the next year. So going back a little bit to this ecosystem idea. So we see much more interaction and much more network ties and they will become even more important. That's going to be interesting to watch. So it sounds, it sounds very entrepreneurial, a lot of innovation going on in the business models, right? The way companies going yeah. to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, another question I wanted to ask you, there's a lot of companies right now that are, are facing significant changes in how they have to go after innovation from what we can might call digital products or hybrid products. You know, had a, you had a traditional product that you've, could be almost anything. It could be a, a valve, it could be a chemical, it could be a farming solution, what have you. And now all of a sudden you have this digital aspect comes in here where it's a smart valve or, or it's an intelligent farming solution or, or what have you. And the way you innovate is not historically yeah, we're just going to make product, but now you have software to deal with, you have user experience, you have customer success in different ways. Our family-owned businesses, I know corporate corporations that have capital can deal with that. How are family-owned businesses? Is that impacting them? Is that a stress for them that's coming? Yeah, so it's impacting them, and I think the result of this impact will be seen in 10 years, right? Yeah. Because those companies who do not innovate also digitally, they will just not be there in 10 or 15 years. And I I think that we will really see a kind of a separation. So we will have, you know, some really great family businesses who manage to adapt and to innovate. And those that just won't. Yeah. I think what is important here now is that we continue to teach family businesses and to bring knowledge into the family business. So in the machine and realm ecosystem, there is a, a great company, it's called uh, Lauda. So they're working with cooling systems and they have one of the most innovative family business owner managers I've ever met, mm. Gunther. And what Gunther did, for instance, was that he moved to the Silicon Valley for half a year or a couple of months in order to learn how the Silicon Valley people think and act and behave yeah. and innovate. And then he went back to his company and he tried to integrate and implement those solutions. Some worked, some not. But I think by this move, by taking the Silicon Valley knowledge to his German-based family business, he actually enabled his people to innovate. And you can do that. I mean, only two or three weeks ago, I uh, did a workshop for a medium-sized family business together with my colleague Jonas. 
and we applied design thinking approaches to to them and we did a design thinking workshop with them yeah. to um to to work out a digital transformation plan for them and it worked greatly they have never done that before but they were so open to those new methods and they they just applied it and i would say in a perfect way yeah and this showed me that we have all these methods like design thinking and agile methodologies and we talk about it a lot and the corporates and at the universities yeah but we somehow need to bring them to the family businesses teach them maybe adapt them because not everything that works in a corporate also works in a medium or small size business but there is so much openness but this knowledge transfer still needs to happen i am so 100 behind what you say about about teaching and enabling these people who may not uh, know how to do it because Given the numbers you started with, the percentage of, of businesses that are family owned, we need to make them successful, don't we? When you think about the type of um, businesses that are transforming, are there certain industries that are moving faster than others or maybe better positioned to make the transformation? Or is it, you know, everybody's in, 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 in the middle of it right now? Yeah, yeah. So I would say it depends a little bit on how far the suppliers and especially the customers are also with digitalization mm. yeah so when we talk to family businesses we often hear okay so our initial trigger to digitalize was that our customers expected that from us yeah and so when for instance the customers are i don't know larger corporations yeah that expect i don't know digital um, quality control or whatever then of course the suppliers and the, the family business suppliers also need to do that so we see that the speed of the digitalization is dependent really on how much pressure the customers and sometimes also suppliers exert on the company and second of all on uh, the personality of the owner manager yeah so basically very often the next chance yeah and then there's always the the scary new entrant that we don't know about who's going to appear to you know the next uber or the next yeah. right who's going to come out of nowhere right it's Indeed. really challenge for all of us well um this has been really fascinating, Nadine. I really appreciate you spending time. What are you working on now? Is there additional research you're working on or, or new things that you're, you're kind of involved in? Yeah. So uh, we have a couple of projects going on right now. One, as I said before, that I'm particularly fascinated about is, you know, how family businesses deal with artificial intelligence, the risk inherent in artificial intelligence, and also, you know, all those value-based ethical considerations. That's something we, we hope to, to do in the next one to two years. Mm -hmm. And then there we are also working on ecosystems. Yeah. And yeah. so we are trying to understand what need to be the conditions that family businesses and startups work together. So how could be, what could be a mode of working together? So like there is this venture clienting model, which I find very intriguing because it means that the corporate, the family business doesn't actually invest financially into the startup. Yeah, but instead it works together with the startup as being the client of um, the startup. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a venture mm -hmm. clienting model. And yeah. this is something that, you know, BMW and some of the huge companies applied. And there's even a Harvard Business Review article on that. But it mm -hmm. could be yeah. actually very, very much interesting also for smaller, for family businesses, because then they don't have to invest the money. I told you before that resources are scarce. Yeah. 
So coming up with models that allow family businesses to work with startups without this huge investments of money that they don't have and where they will always fall behind the VCs, that is something that we are just starting to explore. Wow, that's great. That's great. If you were standing in front of a family-owned business leader today, is there one piece of advice that you would give that person? Yeah, that's one, one of the exercises I love to do in executive classes. And this is, uh-huh. I, need two, I need two people for that, is that I, uh, I have two family business owner managers and I give the task to each of them to first learn about the other one's industry and then to think about scenarios of what needs to happen that the other family business owner managers industry gets just destroyed. Yeah, because mm-hmm. of a new Uber comes in, for instance. Right. Yeah. And I have the feeling that once people have thought through this scenario, they're typically very, very open to any kind of new innovation because Mm. they never think about that. They never think about, you know, this worst case scenario of Uber or Airbnb entering their industry. But once they have gone through this process of thinking, okay, if that happens, this has a huge impact on my industry, they typically become very open to think about alternative business models, especially diversification of business models. And then it's really fun starting the discussion about what they could do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, this is this is this is really fun. You make me want to go back to business school and come to your <laughs> come to your school because this is You're really very exciting much invited, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, listen. I want to really appreciate you for taking time with us and joining us. This is a fascinating topic. I certainly will be following your research and and uh, you know looking for more of what you've written. Especially, I've got to go find that that Harvard Business Review article you just mentioned, and we'll get a link to that maybe in our show notes. If people want to find out more, if they want to track what you're doing, how do they kind of follow you? Yeah. So we update on our activities on our Institute LinkedIn page. So this is where we post um, 90% in English about our, uh, about our research activities and other things that are going on. Yeah. Good, good. Well, we'll make sure we get a link to that in our show notes as well. Any last comments before we, we, we part uh, for today? Not really. It was fun talking to you. Family businesses are exciting and anybody who wants to help making them more innovative and successful in the future, great, do it. And if you want to get into contact with me, just write me. Well, that's outstanding. Thank you again for joining us. Just a lot of fun to talk to you. And, and uh, you know, I wish you all the best uh, in, in your future research that you're doing. Maybe we touch base uh, again in the future and kind of get an update. As, if things are moving so fast, uh, be curious to see from you. Uh, if, you're, if you'd like to do that, we'd love to have you back. Everybody else for listening, we thank you very much. Glad you could join us. And uh, we wish you a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.